Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church. Um, no show of hands on this, but how many of you have families like that? Just think. People sitting around your table at the holidays. I mean, the reality is the holidays are complicated, and I think we all would admit that. Uh, when I watch that scene, it reminds me of a number of years ago, our Thanksgiving, uh, that really is etched in my cerebral cortex. I'll never forget it because we were so excited. We were new to this community. We had just moved into our home, and we had invited my uh, brother, who I am closest with, five siblings, but my brother and I are really in, uh, in the closest relationship. He also shares faith with me, and so um, we were so excited because they were traveling from eastern Pennsylvania to join us for Thanksgiving, and we had prepared a big turkey and had all of the trimmings and the, and the, uh, the spread laid out on the table. And about 5 o'clock, when we thought they were going to arrive, they were a no-show. So we kind of kept warming up the food, and we knew they were driving on Thanksgiving Day, and they should be there any moment. 6 o'clock rolled around, 6.30, no-show. Finally, and this will tell you how many years ago it was, we picked up the phone and we called their home number, uh, just in the hopes that no one would answer the phone. And my sister-in-law picked up the phone. And said hello, and I said, uh, Kathy, um, we're waiting for you for Christmas or for Thanksgiving dinner. And she put her hand over the receiver, and I heard her scream in the background, "William, did you not call your brother?" And she didn't, and he didn't, and we enjoyed a real nice Thanksgiving feast with no extended family. Lita's to say had a lot of leftovers, and uh, leftovers are always good at the holidays, aren't they? Never, never a problem with leftovers. Well, this Thanksgiving was very different for us. We had my uh, mother and father-in-law travel in from near Philadelphia. They actually took a plane here, and so we picked them up at the airport. They were with us the past week, and we had a great Thanksgiving and enjoyed uh, the time with my mother and father-in-law. There's no doubt about it. When you come to the holidays and you come to this time of year, it can get really complicated. And so we're starting a new series today called It's Complicated, and before we go there, we want to talk about a couple of events that are coming up that we want you to be aware of and we want you to plan to participate in. The first one is our one prayer that is going to happen tomorrow evening right here in our auditorium. We have dedicated the first day of every month for prayer here at Grace Crossing Church. And so tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock, we want to invite you to join us as we come together as God's family, as we pray and as we invite the Lord uh, into our lives and into our situations and pray that God will bless us and that we will be a blessing to the Lord in this community. And so that will take place tomorrow evening, uh, 7 o'clock here in our auditorium. We trust that you'll plan, make plans to join us for the first day of December. Also, we have an event coming up called Breakfast with Santa uh, that we are still in need of volunteers for, and we want to encourage you uh, to get involved in this event. Now, let me just speak to this event for a moment. We typically have people throughout the year that begin attending Grace Crossing Church, and we've heard people say from time to time when they started attending and then heard about this event, how could a church do an event with Santa Claus? Um, We have a conviction here at Grace Crossing Church that I think is rooted in Scripture, and that is this, that God created everything for His glory and for His pleasure. But the enemy has decided to corrupt and pervert the things that God has created. Our job as followers of Jesus Christ, is to redeem back for God the things that have been perverted. Now, I I really believe that the 
commercialization of Christmas is not necessarily an evil thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. However, what happens is the true meaning of Christmas often gets lost amidst the commercialization. And what we're doing here at Breakfast with Santa is we are taking some, something that is an event for, for everybody in our culture, and we're actually redeeming it back for God. There is nothing like hearing Santa tell the Christmas story, the true Christmas story, and actually talk about the greatest gift that ever came to this earth, and that children can receive the greatest gift that ever came to this earth. And that was the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That is such a special moment as that story is being communicated by Santa Claus, and there is an opportunity for children and families to turn their hearts to God and actually receive the true meaning of Christmas into their lives. And so we want to invite you not only to join us and spread the word about this event, but also we're still in need of volunteers, and if you're willing to get involved and help us out with this great event for our community, you can see Mike Page, our church life director, following our service out in our gallery and get signed on to be a part of this. Now, we're coming this morning to this brand new series, It's Complicated. And many of us actually never think about the complexities of the very first Christmas. I mean, many of us here, we know that Christmas is about a virgin named Mary, uh, and we know that there is a surrogate father. Uh, We know there's a manger, uh, and we know that there's wise men who came from the east that were guided by a star. And if you grew up in a home like mine, we also know that there was the little drummer boy, okay? That's what Christmas means to many of us. Now, by the way, how many of you here... um, Anybody never see the little drummer boy? Can I see your hands if you've never seen the little drummer boy? Okay, several of you. Put it on your holiday plans, okay? Make sure. My father-in-law told me he hasn't seen it, and so we're going to watch it here in the next couple of days before they head back because that movie, oddly enough, made a real impact on me when when I was a child. This idea of a child bringing the only gift that he had to the manger, It actually inspired me to want to be a drummer, but that never worked out for me, so I'm a pastor today. But reality is we never really think of the canvas on which the story of Christmas really emerges and takes shape. And what we're going to do for the next number of weeks is we're going to look at the canvas again, the backdrop. And we're going to ask ourselves, what was happening in this very first Christmas, and what is it about the mystery And the message and the meaning of Christmas, that should mean something to all of us here today. We're going to invite God into the complications of that first Christmas. And we're going to remember over these next number of weeks what it means to truly experience the birth of Christ in our hearts. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse number 18. These are the facts concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her fiancé, being a man of stern principle, decided to break the engagement but to do it quietly as he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. As he lay awake considering this, he fell into a dream. He saw an angel standing beside him. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't hesitate to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
and she will have a son, and you shall name him Jesus, meaning Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. This will fulfill God's message through his prophets. Listen, the virgin shall conceive a child. She shall give birth to a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel commanded, and he brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now you would agree with me this morning that every story has more than one side. Every story has different perspectives and different angles. And what I want to do in, in, in this story is I want to look at this story from Mary's perspective. I want to see her side of the story, and I also want to look at it from Joseph's perspective. But before we jump in and we begin to unpack this passage, I want you to consider the backdrop, the historical backdrop that's taking place in this narrative. I want you to look and think with me for a moment about the socioeconomic and the geopolitical landscape in which Jesus came to this earth. There are several really striking similarities to our culture today that you'll hear in these next few moments. First of all, it's interesting that the people had lost their confidence in the government and politicians. Misuse and abuse of power had led people to be skeptical about government officials. Religious leaders were actually beginning to be, become enmeshed with politics. And consequently, people were being neglected. Their spiritual needs were being overlooked as religious leaders began to think they could change the world by politics or political policies. The legal system was broken. It was corrupt. Actually, bribery was the code of the law. And as a result, you had convicts that were being acquitted on technicalities and innocent people that were being punished for crimes they never committed. That was the culture. Overspending by a big government had created a situation where the people had become burdened with excessive taxes. If you read the narrative, what you discover is what was it that took Joseph and Mary from their home in Nazareth to a place called Bethlehem? It was actually the increased tax burden that was being placed on the people. We read about it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to a city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. It was this overspending by, by big government that actually had placed this excessive tax burden on people, which consequently resulted in a shrinking middle class. If you look at the first century, there were very rich and very poor and very few in between. The disparity between rich and poor and that chasm was continuing to grow. The average laborer and worker had a difficult time making ends meet. And so what did he do and what did she have to do? 
They had to actually go and borrow money just to be able to live. And these financial lending agencies had leveraged their financial strength to bring oppression. And they used that as a weapon of oppression. And that was the situation that was taking place in that day. The Middle East was in conflict. There was actually a redefining of boundaries that was constantly going on. And finally, if you look at the first century, you discover that humanism and science was actually the religion of the day. Higher educated people no longer believed in miracles, no longer believed in a God that existed that worked miracles. And so the, the prevailing ideology of the day is that we just simply trust in ourselves. Does any of this sound strangely familiar to you? That was the landscape upon which Jesus comes to the earth. And the Bible tells us that Mary experienced something and Joseph experienced something. And what often happens is when we come to a narrative like this, we read it factually. And we overlook the emotional equation and emotional side and dynamic that was happening in this situation. In that socioeconomic and geopolitical landscape, God interrupts the life of a young Jewish couple who had their whole future ahead of them. It was relationally complicated. Let's first of all look at this situation from Mary's perspective. And I think if there's something that we can learn from Mary's perspective, it is, it is interruptions, how we handle interruptions. Let's go back and revisit verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of information in that single verse that we do not see unless we look back culturally to what was happening. Engagement in the first century was nothing like engagement is today. It was much more significant, and it actually was not a decision made by a man, a young man and a young woman. It was a decision that was made by the entire family. Jewish marriages took place in three evolving stages. Stage number one was called the contract. Yes, it was a business transaction. It was called betrothal. And what would happen is that a young lady, often a teenager, would choose a groom-to-be. Oh, that's right, guys. You know, all the pressure's on us here in this society today. That was not the case back then. Young ladies actually were part of that decision-making process. But here's what would happen. The groom-to-be would have to go to the father and would have to enter in to some financial arrangement to be able to literally marry or wed this man's daughter. That betrothal included what was called a dowry, some kind of pledge that you had to fulfill. And you find this all through Scripture, the story uh, of this narrative taking place. And so the contract actually was established, it was signed, it was a legally binding agreement, and, and for all uh, purposes in culture, they were considered a married couple. But the second part and second stage needed to happen first. And that stage was called the consummation. Now, there was no wedding ceremony like we have today. There was no walking down the aisle of the synagogue to say, I do, 
There was simply a moment in time where that groom-to-be would come to the bride's father and say, I have fulfilled my pledge to you. I have paid my dowry. Sometimes it took months. Many times it took years to be able to get to that point. And once that was done, the father would make arrangements to have that groom to come to his home and come to where the bride lived, the bride-to-be, and the marriage would be consummated with all the bridesmaids there in a, in a separate location. They were then considered husband and wife in the eyes of family and friends. And so the next stage was the celebration stage where this couple then would actually have a procession all the way to the groom's home where a celebration would then go on for days and sometimes weeks depending on how wealthy this particular family was. Now what the Bible teaches us here is that they were still in that first phase, that first stage of marriage. Their marriage had not been consummated yet. All that had happened is the contractual arrangement had been made. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Mary receives a, a word, an announcement from heaven. The angel Gabriel appears to her, and here's what it says in Luke's gospel. Chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Contractual arrangement. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I don't know how you would define interruption, but I think this would qualify, right, as an interruption to a young lady's plans, a young lady's future. Here's really what the angel Gabriel said to her. You are preparing a wedding. I want you to prepare a nursery because you're going to have a child. Now, can you imagine her life being thrown into incredible tailspin? What do you do when life throws you a curveball? What do you do when relationships go south and tank? What do you do when your financial situation doesn't turn out the way you had hoped and the way you had planned? What do you do when a marriage that you had every hope for fails or a child goes wayward who you had dreams of becoming some, some significant person in, in our society. What happens? Now, the reality is it's not a matter of if we're going to have interruptions in our holiday plans or in our life. It's only a matter of when they're going to happen. And I believe as a servant, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the greatest indication of how much of a servant we are is how well we do 
with interruptions? How well do we receive those? And how well do we navigate through those really difficult interruptions? Because here's what we do. We fail to see God's hand in our interruptions, don't we? We see our promises that got broken. We see our plans that failed. We see unfulfilled dreams. We see all these, we see our disappointments and all the things that are happening, but we often fail to see how God is at work in the midst of our interruptions. That's why we're given this advice in James. And I really think it's significant. James chapter 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what, you're, what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now notice this. Instead, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will... We will live to do this or that. That is a philosophical and theological paradigm shift in our thinking. It means that we begin to think differently about our lives here on this earth. Mary had her plans, but God had his. And when we trust in the will of God in our lives, listen to this, we will never be defeated As long as we put our confidence in God's will, we will never be defeated. We'll never lose. That was Mary's story. Now let's look at Joseph's. His side of the story is also interesting. Because when I think of Joseph's side of the story, I think of incredible disappointment. Here's what it says in verse number 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And let's leave this verse up for a moment. Joseph did not sign up for this. Okay? This was not what Joseph bargained for when he went to Mary's father and said, I want to move into a contractual arrangement. I want her to become my wife. It's believed that Mary was probably in her her mid-teens when this when this agreement, this betrothal took place, Joseph probably a 20-something. And yet Joseph was going on planning his future, thinking about the home they were going to build, thinking about the color of the, of the carpet and the color of the walls. And can you imagine when his fiance shows up one day and says, Joseph, we really need to talk. We really need to talk. And Joseph, when he hears the news, has actually several options at his disposal. Joseph could have married her. That's one option. He could have just gone through with the arrangement, pretended nothing ever happened. He could have actually said, hey, no harm, no foul, let's just move on and let's go on with our plans. But for a young Jewish man to keep his promise when he perceived that his fiance did not keep hers, hold up her end of the bargain, would have been unthinkable for a Jewish man. His second option was to divorce her, to just go to her father and say, listen, we got to end this arrangement. Uh, I'm I'm just not happy with where things are. Things just aren't working out as I planned. Can I just break this? Can I get your blessing to break off this relationship? So he could have married her. He could have legally divorced her, which would have required a decree. He could have exposed her. Actually, when the word here says he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, that was common in that day. The idea is to put someone on public display. 
and actually lift them up as a failure. What would have happened is not only would family of friends known about what had happened, but the entire community would have socially marginalized Mary. She would have been labeled an adulterer. And from that moment forward, her life would have never been the same. But the Bible, I like what it says in the Living Bible. It says that Joseph was a man of stern principle. He knew the law. But he actually loved Mary so much that he did not want to disgrace her. And when you hear the word disgrace, think reverse grace. Not the extension of kindness and mercy. But actually the very opposite of that. Public humiliation. Oh, there was one other option, by the way, according to the law. He could have taken her to the city officials, and he could have actually demanded that she be stoned. Oh, yeah, the law, the law allowed it in that day, that you could actually take someone and say, they have absolutely been immoral. And you find that narrative in the New Testament at several places. But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph, the Bible says, makes up his mind. He, he, he considers all of his options, and he said, okay, I'm going to, like every good man, think of all my options and then choose the one that makes the most sense. The one that made the most sense to him was simply, let me just divorce her quietly, secretly, just with the family, so as not to expose her to public humiliation. Disappointment. So Mary's side of the story, obviously, is interruptions. Joseph's side of the story is disappointment. Two sides. Oh, but let's not miss the third side of the story. Because did you know in every story, in every relationship, there is God's side of the story? And God was doing something that Joseph was unaware of. And here's what the Bible says that, that, that God does with Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. But after he had considered this, in other words, considered all of his options, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. The Bible gives us a, a, a little insight into what was going on in Joseph's psyche. Joseph was afraid. What was he afraid of? Well, there's no doubt he was afraid of rejection. He was afraid of his reputation. He was afraid of what it was going to do to his career, his future options of having a wife. He was concerned and afraid of what was going to take place. And the very first thing that the Lord says to him is, do not be afraid. Let me say something to you as we begin this series. It's complicated. Do not allow fear to keep you away from where faith wants to take you. Faith wanted to take Joseph somewhere that fear was getting in the way of. And God said, listen, I want to step into this situation. I want you to see my side of the equation, my side of the story. I have a plan here that you don't know about yet, but you're about to find out. And I think back in the story and I wonder what would have happened. What would have happened had Joseph gone on and done what he thought was best? Joseph would have missed out on being able to marry his sweetheart. Joseph would have never had the opportunity to name Jesus. And Joseph would have missed the opportunity to raise, yeah, parent 
the very Son of God. Can you imagine what a missed opportunity he would have had had he not allowed God to step into his disappointment? And I ask you a question this morning. How are you handling your disappointment with your family? How do you handle your disappointment with your spouse? How do you handle it when your kids disappoint you? Because, parents, they will. How do you handle it when your parents' children disappoint you? And they will. How do you handle it when your employer disappoints you? Your friends disappoint you. Are you allowing yourself to be controlled by fear or led by faith? That's up to us. And I think there are several emerging themes out of this story that I want to I talk about as we close this morning. Because when we think about relational complications, there are several themes that surface in this narrative that I don't want us to miss today. The first one is this. God can be trusted in our conflicting relationships. Now, if Mary and Joseph had gone into counseling, okay, a good marriage counselor always gives the couple some sort of framework to work within. What is their relationship like? This would have been a conflicted couple, okay? No doubt about it. But I like how Joseph trusts God in the middle of the conflicted relationship. He doesn't demand a DNA test kit. He doesn't ask for a polygraph test. There is absolutely not one ounce of scientific proof that Mary had conceived of the Holy Spirit. Not one. He had nothing but faith to go on. And in our lives and in our relationships, it is, it is our trust in God. It is our trust that God has a plan to work in ways that we can't see that allows us to get through complicated relationships. The second thing I want you to see in this narrative that emerges is this. God is an advocate for marriage and family. God is an advocate for marriage and family. Listen to what I'm about to say. I want you to think about this. God did not need Joseph to fulfill what he was doing. God chose him. And why? Why? Because God did not want Mary to be an unwed single parent. Now, that's really important. I am so empathetic to people who grew up like I did in a single-parent home. And I'm empathetic to those that are here this morning that have had divorce in your life and you are struggling and you are working through being a single parent. Um, I identify with it. I empathize with it. But it's important for us to understand a message that God is sending here. And it's the same message he's sending to our generation today. A generation that actually believes and thinks marriage is optional. Marriage is simply a subjective thing that we can choose or not choose. I think what God is saying is, listen, the best thing is still marriage, and the best thing is still two parents that raise a child. We must never allow our experiences to define our theology. We must allow Scripture to do that. And it doesn't mean that God is not at work in homes like my home where I came to faith in Christ and I found Jesus as my Savior and God redeemed me. He does. He does wonderful things. But it is still God's plan to give Mary what he wants to give us today. And that is a family to be raised in and a family to raise. The final thing is this. God works 
reconciliation. In our relationships, God works reconciliation, but only to the degree that we obey him. I think it really is incumbent upon each of us that if we're going to see reconciliation come to conflicted relationships, we must be willing to let God work in our hearts. That's exactly what Joseph does. I love the end of the story, which is really actually the beginning of the first part of the story in Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, notice he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Had Joseph not obeyed the angel of the Lord, we would not be reading this story today. It would have had a completely different outcome and perhaps a completely different conclusion. But because Joseph did what God said and he obeyed, God brought reconciliation to that relationship, to those families, and God actually brought to us the story and the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in a remarkable way. And so this morning... Here's what I'd like to do by way of application. Perhaps you today have somebody in your circle of relationships that you would define or label a conflicted relationship. Can you think of that person? Can you think of that relationship that is strained, that is complicated? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand out this morning and I want you to write their name down. Or take your mobile device and I want you to write their name down. Or take your journal and I want you to write their name down. Go ahead. I'll give you just a moment. I'd like you, if you need a pen, there's a pen in front of you in the seat. I'd like you to think about, and I think all of us in this auditorium know of a strained relationship, a conflicted relationship that we have with somebody that we need God's help with. And so I want you to just put their name on that paper or in your mobile device, or on your journal. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you during this series and during this holiday season, I'd like you to invite God into that relationship. Say, God, would you step into this relationship with me? And would you help me navigate through the complexities, the disappointments, the frustrations? It's complicated. But God, I think you want to help me work through this and have your eyes and your mind in this relationship. You know, we can just chalk it up to the past and we can just let our bygones be bygones or we can say, God, you are in the redemptive business, you're in the reconciliation business. And you want to do that in my life and my relationships. And so I want you to pray this morning with me. And let's together invite God into those relationships and ask the Lord to help us. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your your word. Thank you for the reminder today that often what we think about when we think of Christmas, that it really doesn't stand as significant in our minds as it ought to until we bring scripture into it, until we look historically and we remember what it must have been like for this young couple. They had no idea 
what they were getting into. They had no idea what was about to take place. But you stepped into the middle of their journey, their life, their plans, and you interrupted it with your plan. And God, your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts beyond our thoughts. And so today we, we recognize and we confess that we do not know everything, we don't understand everything. We simply see through a glass darkly and even as we look at relationships that are complex, conflicted, we sometimes look through that glass darkly. We need your help. Just like Joseph, we need your mind on our situations. And so God, we invite you this holiday season, this Advent season, as we think about the birth of Jesus Christ and what it means to us. I believe first and foremost, the birth of Christ means that relationships can be restored. That you are an advocate for healthy relationships. And so God, let us share that same advocacy today. And let us be champions, Lord, in our own circle of relationships for restoration and for reconciliation, we pray. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.